Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Today's movie was suggested to us by KJ. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, which consists of two rounds of three questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Today's movie is 2009's Castaway on the Moon. This is a Korean film in the genres of drama and romance. The director is Haijun Lee. Some of the other movies the director uh, is known for, uh, Like a Virgin, 2006, My Dictator, 2014, and Ashfall, 2019. Other big movies in Korea during this period of time in 2009 were Hyundai, which is, uh, translates to Tidal Wave, Korea's first disaster movie, Take Off, which is a ski jumping Olympic movie, and Jae Woon Chi, The Taoist Wizard, fantasy action film. And again, if I'm butchering any of these Korean names, uh, just general disclosure, we're doing our best. Uh, other movies that came in uh, from the States were Avatar, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, which was the second Transformers, as well as the disaster movie, two, uh, what is it, 2012? 2012? I don't know the correct way to say that one. KJ, why'd you bring this one to us and tell us a little bit about what's going on in this movie? So Castaway on the Moon is a movie that takes a little bit of setup to explain. It's actually a pretty simple plot, but here we go. Also, we are gonna be trying to pronounce Korean during this episode, um, bear with us. But in Castaway on the Moon, there's a Korean salaryman who is heavily in debt, and he decides to take his life by jumping off a bridge in the Han River in Seoul. He survives the jump and washes up on the Bam Som Island, which is an island in the middle of the Han River in the city of Seoul. He would have to swim over 800 feet to get back to the city, and he can't swim. So the movie follows Song Jing's survival adventure on this deserted island while always in view of a big city. While all that is going on, there's a woman who is a shut-in, and she has not left her apartment for over two years. She uses a camera with a high zoom to take pictures of the moon. She ends up seeing Sung Jung's help message and starts documenting Sung Jung's adventure. After two months of this, Jung Yoon, the woman in the apartment, decides to brave the outside world and throw a bottle onto the island with a message for the man on the island, Sung Jang. After six months, a cleanup crew finds Sung Jang and drags him back to society. I was on a fairly long flight with my future wife and she asked if we wanted to watch a movie together. I said, sounds great. We got our little headphones. We clicked the buttons on the back of the seat in front of us, and she picked out a movie. It was a Korean movie we had never heard of, so we counted to three, and we hit play at the same time, and we had no idea how funny and how surprising this movie was going to be. The plot was ridiculous. So that was 10 years ago, and since then, I've wanted to talk to other people about this movie. And that is secretly why I prompted you guys to create this podcast so that I finally had somebody to talk to this movie about. And that's what brought us here today. Tom, are you, were you familiar with this movie and did you have any uh, thoughts on it? I, I'm not familiar with this movie uh, until I saw it. I'm familiar with it now. 
Um, yeah, I I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was very charming and fun. Um, you know, I, I like the, the kind of island adventure thing. I found a novel that has a very similar plot from the 90s that there's something kind of similar, like a, a castaway on an island near civilization, the sort of juxtaposition of, of um, a major metropolitan and then this kind of primitive lifestyle someone's forced to, to lead. Um, but no, I wasn't familiar with this. I'm not generally that familiar with Korean cinema. Um, outside of Old Boy, that collection of films, the kind of revenge films. But I, um, this is my, my first encounter, and I enjoyed it a lot. I'm in the same camp you were, Tom. I, I had no familiarity with this movie before, and I did also thoroughly enjoy it. I, I liked both perspectives, too, of, of each character, the gentleman who was on the island, as well as the lady viewing uh, from her apartment, who was clearly a, a recluse and a shut-in. I mean, her, her place was ridiculous and gross. <laughs> um, but they really played the, the two different angles really well there. Uh, when KJ was bringing up the introduction there, I actually, I guess, it, and it really didn't matter in the story. I, I didn't even realize it was in Seoul, Korea. I just knew it was some city. Like I just, it, it wasn't even like critical to the storyline. Most of the movie takes place, you know, on an island in view of a random city and within uh, this shut-in's apartment. But I, I really enjoyed this movie. I never would have found it if KJ didn't bring it to our attention and make us uh, come up with a podcast just to talk about it. It's time for Movie Quiz. All right, guys, I prepared a few questions about Castaway on the Moon. Today, I thought instead of playing for points, we'd play for duck boats. Um, I thought it would be a kitsch little thing our podcast could do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and here are the categories for round one. A will to live, on the menu, and occupation. Um, Nick, you have a preference on which category we start with? That's a great question. After much thought, I think I will start with A Will to Live. It's time for question one. Castaway on the Moon starts with some pretty heavy stuff, including some suicide attempts. What is the first thing that makes Song Jin, the island man, think he wants to live? So what is the first thing, it's an object, that makes Song Jin realize, no, no, I do want to live? I'm questioning the first thing. Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty important, too. <laughs> I, know, I know a thing, but I'm, I'm questioning if that was the first thing. It was a pretty distinct scene where... Okay, you know, no, I'm good. I, I, I mean, unless I... And missing something obvious. I'm 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 locked in. I I'm gonna say something, but I don't know. All okay, right. Nick, what do you got? I'm I'm hoping this was the first one, but the finding the packet of the the black bean noodles. Okay. Um, that was his. What was giving him hope and a will to live? I was gonna say the tie, but the tie, you know, kind of doesn't work. The tie, he, he uses a tie to try and hang himself and it doesn't, doesn't work. Okay, no points awarded on this first Yeah, I, there yeah. Was, I forget the, what the, the first one was. I, I know I didn't the, th the black beans come later. I yeah, I, I, and the tie, he did something happened and then he came out and he said, oh, I, I could do this another time. And I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, what that's, I know, I know. And the, the, whatever that happened is, is a 
black spot in my memory. Yeah. How was it, KJ? So after the first suicide attempt where he jumps off the bridge and washes up on shore, he spends a little bit of time on his cell phone trying to get off the island <laughs> and then realizes he's stuck here. So he uses a tie because he's in a full business suit um, to make a noose. And just as he's about to try his second suicide attempt, the Korean National uh, Observation of the oh, Army. Oh, yeah. It was like civil, yeah. the air civil, raid. civil Defense Commission or something. Mm-hmm. Which CDC. The CDC. Okay. Which apparently happens twice a year. And for 20 minutes, the whole country just stops to observe and sit. So he says, eh, you know what? It would be kind of tacky to go through with this during that. He decides to take the 20-minute break, and he finds some honeysuckles. And Uh, upon smelling and tasting these honeysuckles, he realizes there is good in this world. He has good memories from before, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to live. So it was the honeysuckles. Yeah, Uh, that's right, because he was sucking the the petals for the mm -hmm. nectar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I knew I was wrong, but that was I, like the one they harped on the most throughout the movie, and I I, I blanked out on it. I remember that scene so specifically. Yeah. It, it's I just don't remember it within the context of that's what yeah. inspires him to live. Um, it's interesting because so much of the movie is is kind of on the nose. A lot of the visual metaphors, like him trying to swim. There's a scene where he's trying to swim away from the island, and he kind of has a, a memory which is dramatized on screen of various times <laughs> he was like dealing with conflict all of which is staged with him in a pool like failures like, too just straight yeah, up failures, failures. Yeah, yeah, yeah his his dad yelling at him because he can't swim <laughs> his girlfriend leaving him and whatnot i think um, it was a job interview or something too yeah or some kind of job was, yeah why did you leave your last job <laughs> yeah um, aren't you too old for this job? things like that and so the the movie the movie isn't subtle often it's kind of on the head but that it's interesting because that scene is that scene is fairly kind of poetic relative i think to the rest of the rest of the picture now that kj brings it up like i vividly remember everything about it i remember the tie i remembered everything you did tom i just the 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 connection there yeah i mean i think it's a part of it too is like a lot of the movie feels like it could be ordered in different ways. The scenes can be ordered in different ways. Um, that clearly can't though, right? If that's his inspiration to live, that has to come earlier. And I think we all have memories that can be triggered by smells, tastes, or whatever that bring us a lot of joy or uh, bring us to a happier place if we're not feeling well. So I kind of really like that the movie calmed down. Those honeysuckles were framed in a good way. The bright red versus all the brown and the gray of the island. You know, I, I really think this was the, the, the best category to start off this episode with. You know, it just fit right into where we'd start. That's good. I'm glad you picked it. Me too. <laughs> so let's move on to question number two. Uh, Tom, the two remaining categories are on the menu and occupation. Feel free to pick either one. How about on the menu? On the menu. All right. We're going to go around the table. You know, I was thinking about picking that one. Yeah? In an alternate edited episode you already have (laughs) (laughs) it's time for question two this is an around the table question so you're each going to name things and you will get one point for every item you can name over your co-host and what we're naming today things sojin eats while on the island tom start us off 
Honeysuckle. Uh, he eats fish. Salt on his body. <laughs> we'll count it. <laughs> Gross. It's true, though. He did. He ate uh, birds. He ate noodles, self-made noodles. He had an egg Yep. in the noodles. And I have one more on my list. He ate the black bean sauce on top of the noodles. All right. You're not counting that? Uh, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. There were other assorted vegetables within the noodle dish that he uh, ate. I have another one of that. I think the black bean noodle sauce should work. That should work, too. But I leave it to KJ. All right, nope. So far, so good. What do you got, Tom? Oh, it's Nick's turn, right? Or... No, I did vegetables. He did. Oh, well, okay. I was going to say, like, the little things of corn inside the foliage. He didn't eat them. He used them. I think, yeah, well, so... We... He, I mean, he ate them in the noodles, which we already said as an answer. Right. Oh, right, that, right. That, that's part of noodle? Okay. Um, what else does he eat? So there's one more thing, and this is kind of all he eats for maybe two months. It's a little unclear. It's what he eats while oh, before oh. he's... Oh, no. While he's, before he's figured out how to do things. Right, um, before he's able to fish, before he's able to catch those birds, uh-huh. before he's able to farm. Uh, what does he eat before? Oh, I got it. I, but it's Tom's turn, right? Yeah, but you guys are tied right now, so I'd say, if you got it, Nick, let's try okay. it. Okay, he eats mushrooms. Uh-huh. Oh, right, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. point to Nick. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, all the things he had to try to figure out how to eat on this small mm-hmm. deserted island. He's um, lucky those were not poisonous mushrooms. <laughs> he was, but he even... He didn't um, care. Right. He points that out. He's like, you know what? If this is the third attempt, <laughs> this is the third attempt. <laughs> yeah. um, but so the island, Bombsom Island, is 2.5 million square feet, which I don't know what to compare that to. It's 45 football fields. Is that what we use to compare square feet? Um, so it's a pretty big island. It's not too small. It's not too big, uh, but still surviving on it must have been challenging. Yeah. How many, how many square feet is it again? 2.5 million square feet. 2.5 million square feet. But um, don't forget too, like he was one storm away from devastation. Like that one, there, uh, the scene later in the movie where the big storm comes in, it pretty much wipes out his home. Actually, his home floats away. The duck <laughs> boat floats away. His crops are ruined. And then I believe it's the, the next day that the cleanup crew come. So who knows what would have happened to him if that cleanup crew didn't come. He might have gotten his fourth, un- unknowing the fourth <laughs> attempt, <laughs> uh, starvation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I'm trying to like compare it to Manhattan. Manhattan has, it looks here like a, a 220 million square meters. So yeah, smaller than- smaller. Yeah, it's yeah. probably closer to like Randall's Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, those intimately familiar with Randall's Island. <laughs> well, I, I do measure my islands based on Randall's Island. <laughs> it's kind of a cool island. You it's can like go there. five Randall's Islands. <laughs> uh, all right. Question number three. The category is occupation. I think I'll choose occupation. And Nick will choose occupation. It's time for question three. 
This is a pretty simple question. What does Jung Young, the apartment girl, do for a living? That's an amazing question because I often ask myself that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys locked in? I, I can give you an answer. I, I, I have mean, a guess as well. Yeah, it's, but it's I actually, like, while I was watching the movie, I was wondering this. Yeah. But I, I, think I'm, I think I'm locked in. All right, Nick, what do you got? In fact, I know I'm locked in. I think that she um, does websites. I don't know if they were blogs or something, but I think she does something to do with coding, web, des web design, something in that regard. Okay, Tom? I was going to say something like that, but she does um, kind of blog, like fashion blogging, lifestyle blogging, and that's her avatar, which she's more or less ripped off from a photograph she's seen online. But that it's, it's kind of fashion blogging, like she puts out and promotes products. All right, point goes I, to Tom. I was going to say, I actually didn't know if that was exact. I know at some point she ripped off somebody and they got pissed, but I, I didn't know if that was her profession or just like mm -hmm. she was catfishing. <laughs> so it's not clear if she's getting paid to do this. Yeah. But she does say she gets up and she works for eight hours a day. But and it, it appears, I, well, it appears to me she's running multiple blogs. So she's picked multiple avatars. She's found pictures of other Korean women and claims to be them, has given them a personality, has given them a shopping preference, and then uses that to promote items. But it doesn't look like she's getting paid by the shoe companies. I would assume she's getting paid by clicks and likes and... See, I didn't know if she just was like a catfisher who had a bunch of personalities or if that was like a job. Like that's the part with this question that I got, I wasn't sure. Like if she's getting paid to design these things or if she's just doing it. So yeah, I, I mean, I'll go I with Tom. Yeah, I, I really yeah. didn't know. I know some blogs do get, get paid and I know some people who love video bloggers will get paid to promote clothing, things like that. Um, this is 2009 though. So that industry is... Yeah, that's fairly how robust it is at this time. Yeah, it's it's a thing today. Then again, Asian markets are usually ahead of us with technology and trends like that. Like, remember, like we were still on uh, flip phones when they were doing s s smartphones streaming stuff. So, like, I don't know if maybe they were ahead of us, but that is, I thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I think she was an influencer in two thousand nine. But the important part of her job is she's living out the fantasy of being these people. That seems to be what the movie is interested in, besides, you know, kind of economic security. Yeah. Because it seems like her parents, we meet only one of her parents, but it seems like they are aware of the agoraphobia of their daughter, but have no idea how to, what to do about it. So they're just... Yeah, they're just completely ena enabling her because the room, I mean, she has... I mean, filth. I mean, the set was amazing in the sense that, like, she just has bags and bags of trash. She sleeps in the closet in bubble wrap. And even in the later part where she's like, I want to make corn. And then she just has these little cans with corn. Like, the whole place is so gross. So gross. So I, I looked it up. If you could or could not make, if you could, not, could or could not grow corn, in those like coffee cans, small coffee cans that she was trying to do. It turns out you can grow corn in a container, but the smallest container I could find commercially available was the size of like a large tote bag. Okay. And I don't know how big of a corn stalk you could grow in 
Um, but it is possible. I thought that was another fantastical, you know, exaggeration the movie might have done. But you can grow corn. Yeah, mm-hmm. her her whole like setup. It was interesting. I mean, I, she was kind of living off scraps in in society, where he was living off scraps in isolation. <laughs> <laughs> but also society. I mean, everything he has yeah. is kind of washed up from. Sure. Yeah. And so are they. They are they are washed out of society or, you know, kind of washed up on their own shores. Yeah. And th- this is, you know, a trope that we see more so in the 21st century is kind of the, um, the, you know, the marginalized person love story. And I don't mean, you know, like a, like racially marginalized or something like that, but people who are extremely different from the norm who fall in love with one another. That seems to be a, a type of, thing that they're going for this was a tough question just because even as i was watching the movie as i said i was trying to actually figure out what she works all day on and even now when tom answers his question i'm like yeah i think it's better than mine but like i still don't even know if that's the truth like how she did things it was it is a great question because i, I still still not really sure <laughs> so one of the things i really like about watching movies from other countries is things like that might be lost in translation. To a Korean audience, maybe that made perfect sense. They knew lots of people that ran a website, maybe not a fake website like she was doing. Um, So I really like watching movies from other countries that maybe they weren't popular, maybe they weren't big, because it shows you what the people in that country are interested in right now, potentially. You know, maybe some movies probably do it better than others. Um, So that was another reason I really wanted to pick this movie, because... I don't think it's very well known or popular here in the States. And I don't even know how well it did in Korea, but so I I like it when movies bring things to the, bring things like this to our attention that we may have not otherwise known about. It's interesting doing research from a different era or different, a different culture and looking at what their pop culture is and finding not the, the biggest movie or the most award-winning movie or play or book, you know, whatever, whatever. But the thing that, a lot of people in that culture were reading, but then gets forgotten 10 or 20 years later. Um, you know, that's, it's interesting to see kind of American novels from 1900 or whatnot. Often they're not novels that are remembered and the novels from 1900 that are remembered are often not the ones that were the best sellers. And that's true almost in any era. And you're, you're right. You do get, um, you do get a sense of the culture of a place or time um, with these kind of what you might call middle of the road popular works uh, for that reason, just because they speak to a large group of people in a particular in a particular way. That's why they're popular, and it's not why, and it's also why they're not popular twenty years later. Talking about occupations, we know that Song Jun is a businessman because he wears a full suit. Do we ever find out exactly? what his occupation is i remember there's the one scene where he's apparently you know getting an interview while trying to swim in the pool um (laughs) but i'm not sure if the interviewers or he makes it clear as to what that job is yeah i thought it was just like generic businessman but (laughs) it's like chandler on friends (laughs) (laughs) it's a business of some sort you know (laughs) you know i was just curious about if you guys caught anything that i didn't i i thought it was just generic businessman i don't yeah it's soulless right that's the idea it's it's like soulless 
um, competition that, you know, that he, he hates. With a lot of debt. <laughs> okay, well, uh, round one, uh, that was an exciting one. Uh, KJ, I, I believe we're, we're tied 5-5, five, five, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, we're going to take a quick moment for a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Tom here from Talking Pictures Trivia, and the other members of our team just wanted me to come on and speak to our sponsor, Instant Combustion Poster Board from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. So there's been some reports that the poster board is producing fireballs. Um, I have to say, as someone who owns Instant Combustion Poster Board, I don't believe the product produces actual fireballs. It does illuminate. Fire comes out of it to light up the poster board. It's very exciting. Children of all ages will love it. But I think a fireball might be an exaggeration. It could have been a case here or there where um, maybe someone didn't read the instruction manual or they uh, handled the product incorrectly or there's some product damage possibly. But, you know, I, I don't think you have to worry about fireballs coming out of your poster board. The good people at Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated have assured me that um, fireballs are not anything to be concerned about. So please go down to your local craft store and pick up an instant combustion poster board from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. Instant combustion poster board from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. Ignite your mind and your poster board. That's instant combustion just for you from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. And we're back. I do have to apologize. I made one crucial error. I think I said we were tied with five points each. We are really tied with five duck boats each. So I just wanted to clarify that before I turn it back over to KJ for round two. I have three questions prepared. Uh, they will be worth two duck boats each. Um, the three categories are statistics, 30 minutes or less, and Mark Summers, what would you do? And I'd like to end with Mark Summers, what would you do? So Tom, do you want to go statistics or 30 minutes or less? Oh man, I wanted to do the Mark Summers one, but I'll just have to wait. So let's do statistics. 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 It's time for question four. In Castaway on the Moon, Song Jun references the chances of finding dinosaur DNA in a mosquito. What is Song Jun comparing the chances to? So in other words, Song Jun is doing something on the island and says, well, there's a small chance that this could happen. And he uses the Jurassic Park dinosaur DNA in a mosquito as a reference. What is he doing at that time? I'm glad you clarified because I thought Jurassic Park was the answer. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. Okay. Um... I remember the scene too. Uh, do you do you know what it is, Nick? Because I, 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 uh, I have two I have possible. I, yeah. I have a, I have a guess. I'm gonna be locked in with my guess. I'm 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 locked in. Um, uh, <laughs> it's one of these two things. <laughs> pick one. Uh, okay, I'm gonna pick one. Um, 
Yeah, okay, so uh, I have to say it, right? Um, growing the noodles. Mine was also noodles. Okay. Can I say what my other guess was? Because I think sure. we both lost, yeah. right? Let's, let's um, the fire, making the fire. No, so, so oh, it, both were wrong. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, growing the noodles gets close, but there's a scene where he realizes the birds are pooping on his duck boat. Ah, getting the seeds the, to grow. Yeah. The seeds, getting the seeds says, to grow. Oh, there's a okay. chance one of these birds ate a wheat seed. Yeah. And then he could grow wheat. So he gathers all the bird poop, plants mm-hmm. it, um, and it turns out at least one of those birds at one point ate corn seed. Is corn yeah. a seed? I don't know. Um, so yeah, the corn seed. So I thought the movie was pretty creative in how they brought things to him on the island, mm-hmm. including birds eating corn and trout. Like that's a pretty funny idea that usually takes a long time right that's usually a macro biological thing yet they were able to squish it down to this small yeah i was very concerned when he was having this epiphany about bird poop that he was going to use that as the uh, sticky agent to get you know how he was making concoctions and he was trying to make a noodle and i was like please don't tell me you're going to mix bird poop into this concoction to make noodles please don't do that yeah and fortunately he did not his idea was uh, a lot more clever in the fact that it actually worked out. Although it was interesting to see that successful uh, stalk was hidden behind his friend, the uh, scarecrow. <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> snuck up on him. He's got all these like little things and there's this giant stalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a little ridiculous because that corn probably got less sunlight than the rest. Yeah. And what, he never walked around to the other side. He had the whole island to walk around on, but... um. Yeah, that was pretty funny. So it was pretty gross when he was gathering all the bird poop. And then the other gross thing he did um, that we talked about earlier is he wanted some taste. He wanted some kind of spice, some kind of salt. He wanted to add something to this boring (laughs) fish and chicken he was eating. And he realizes that his sweat is very salty and would add taste. So he starts collecting the sweat to add to his meals Mm -hmm. later. Would that work? I feel like it actually would work. You can circulate salt multiple times through your system. Yeah, I'm not saying be... there's not a diminishing return. Yeah, but... I would. I would think there's a diminishing return. I, I suppose this can the salt come from the fish also as well. Yeah, because yeah, so there's yeah. salts in things, just not as a seasoning. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think it. I don't think it would cause harm. How about that? So you could probably do it. Maybe it'll bring out a flavor. Maybe it won't. Um, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure how salty we are when we sweat. Well, you know what? <laughs> That's no. the thing. Well, we actually, no, no. You may actually know and not realize it. So, have you ever been like super sweaty and then you like kind of lick your lip, like up, like yeah. just like you're like, oh crap, like you. I'm like, oh, what, what is that? And it's salty. It's my sweat. Yeah, I'm not you're, sitting you're, there like him, like licking my arms and legs. But. Your sweat is salty, but to yeah. use salt to, to bring out the flavor of food, I, I don't know if there's enough in, in that sweat to do it. I mean, you yeah. get like concentrated. I, so, you know. But even if, if even if, even if it's a placebo effect, you know, if he yeah. is yeah. enjoying that it. That's a good point, yeah. I do I think, though, it, it, there is salt in it. I don't think I'd be willing to try. No. That's not my issue. I don't think the willing to try part, it's the collection process. The collect, do you know how annoying that would be to get like every yeah. sweat <laughs> yeah. droplet to a point yeah. that you could actually I, like sprinkle it on? Yeah, that would, that, I would also find that annoying. 
I guess, yeah. I guess part of it too is, and the movie deals with this a, a little bit, is this idea of boredom um, and how you, how you end up shaping time. So I can imagine the irritating activities of daily living would, you know, might be irritating, but also might act as a, a life raft for someone in that situation to have tasks to occupy your time with. Yeah, I think if I was in that situation, I'd be willing to collect the sweat, but not try it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. This is I, this is why we have this podcast to really get to these hard hitting <laughs> questions. <laughs> if you were on a turn, what would you do? Which, which one is more appealing: collecting the sweat or consuming the sweat as a salt substitute? <laughs> but it, well, yes. interesting though, in like in, in psychological terms, and the movie does deal with this. The, the idea of him being bored is initially given as a positive. At one point, he lies down in a field on the island. It's like boredom, sweet, sweet boredom. And you just get this idea that this, this man has been stretched so thin by modern living. We learn he's in debt in excess of $200,000. Um, you know, however, it, it's also, the boredom is also kind of a problem because when you're locked alone on an island, regardless of, of your needs, you, you, know, you still have to you know, like, keep your mind occupied. And, you know, I wonder how much of, of the kind of, um, you know, the, the Robinson Crusoe narrative revolves around developing those Sisyphusian tasks that allow us to kind of engage, or engage in activity um, and therefore engage your mind and be able to kind of get through the day. In that specific uh, scene, Tom, he was almost like euphoric about his boredom. <laughs> like, like he's like, I've been waiting my whole life to be this bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've, yeah, I'm, I've been there <laughs> where you're just like, you finish something and you, uh, you know, like you have a week off or something like that, or a few days off, and you just watch Netflix. I, this is how I watched The Walking Dead was in these spaces of euphoric boredom, you know. I unfortunately do not think I will ever get to euphoric boredom until I am fully retired and all any any kids I have are out of the house and done. Because I, I yeah. even with what we're going through now, I'm still super busy. <laughs> like mm. I can't sit still and I would love to do so. But anyway. Next question. The category so, is thirty minutes or less. I think I'll pick that one, KJ. Oh, good. It's time for question five. How much did Jung Young, who is the lady in the apartment, pay to have the noodles delivered? How much did it cost her to have noodles delivered to bomb some island via noodle delivery? Okay, I'm going to... I have an answer. I don't... Because I don't know the currency, so I'm actually, oh, so in Korea it's won. I was actually just like looking up what the currency was called. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna say a number. I'm, I you know I'll put yep. won at the end. <sighs> I I think it was I I remember a number, and I I think it was a hundred thousand won. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with a thousand. I just remember looking at the bill and trying to count the zeros. There was a bill under the door. Yeah, yeah I yeah. couldn't see and the zeros. And that's why I think it's a hundred. I think it's a hundred thousand. But uh, like, it, it's uh, either. I'm gonna go with a thousand, just because I think that's what I saw. What was it? It is a hundred thousand. Oh, 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 oh,
Yeah, I know there was definitely the one and Tom, I was trying to remember the zeros, mm -hmm. but I think the reason I went with a hundred thousand, I was like, I didn't know currency exchange rates. I'm like, that seems like a lot. <laughs> well, so I thought a thousand would be a lot. But, but I don't think it is because I think in like, I, I know something about Japan and I think like a thousand there is different than like here. So that's why I wasn't sure if Korea yeah. was the same. So 100,000 won is 80 US dollars. Okay. Okay. So she's got to pay a premium for that guy to be on his paddle well, boat. She got <laughs> three full dishes of noodles, right? It wasn't just the one. There was the three different styles. So we got three dishes and delivery for 80 bucks. And some other kind of thing that was on the house. Uh, there was oh, some kind of like right. maybe it was only two dishes and then no 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 there were three there were, and then there, there was, was a thing yep um, there actually bonus point <laughs> <laughs> no there was an original there was a, a seafood and then there was one with onions ah the black bean noodles oh, okay so and I then there was like a side dish thingy that was on yeah. the house so yeah thousand won would be worth eighty two cents <laughs> <laughs> no so I just one, know that in Asian currencies like. Not saying a thousand is a dollar, but like I knew there was it's one of those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, they have kind of in inflation problems, it yeah. looks like. And you can divide the yuan up into a hundred geon? Who the hell's spending less than a yuan on it? Like a yuan <laughs> is like literally a yuan is point oh 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 eight two American dollars. <laughs> we still have pennies. <laughs> It's it, it's like one ten thousandth of a penny. <laughs> <laughs> so I also looked up what does it cost to deliver noodles in Seoul today. Um, as far as I could tell, a noodle dish cost about twelve bucks, and then to have it delivered, I think it was only like fifteen. So, oh, so I guess delivery service in Seoul is pretty good. And how about that poor delivery guy? Well, he was straight up comic relief. Like even yeah. the scene when he's in the boat, like he looks so miserable pedaling out to this island, like why him? And then when she goes back and doesn't open up the door when he returns the food, he's like, my legs are all cramped. Yeah. That, that's where you saw a cultural difference. Yeah. I think in that performance, that's something you, you won't see like a modern American or modern Western movie really do. Right, that kind of broader comic thing. Yeah. It almost seems like something from the 1950s. Um, so I, I like that a lot because there was a, just this, such a stark difference. Yes, that's the key, stark differences. Yeah. And it's Perfect. also the, the time, there's a nice framing device at that point. It's when he first sees her, when he returns the noodles. So the, the, for our audience listening, because I, who, who's seen this movie? Um, <laughs> there's a scene where the uh, female Kim decides to deliver noodles um, he turns them down. He, the noodle delivery man takes them back to the female Kim. And when he does, she opens the door and she is seen by a person for the first time in the picture, right, by an outside person. And, and the, it's framed as if this is a big kind of, this is a big moment in her development that she um, does something for someone else that causes her to really take a risk in a way that uh, that's uncomfortable for her, you know, for her agoraphobia, for her fear of contact with other people. Yeah. It's one of the steps they show in her overcoming that. Mm -hmm. 
um, for sure. And, and now that she has structure and a platform to stand on, to be willing to be seen in public, mm -hmm. even in this small capacity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So going into the final question, we got Tom with five duck boats and Nick with seven duck boats. Uh, and the final category is Mark Summers, what would you do? What, what, what would you do? And it is going to be worth up to three duck boats. So either of you can get three duck boats. This is a truly subjective question, unlike some of our previous subjective uh, categories. It's time for question six. How would you have gotten off the island? I have an answer. <laughs> yeah, I also have an answer. But it's, you said up to three. Like, do we have to get more descriptive to get more points? Are there various ways we could get off the island? Yeah, how does it link to the three? Like, what's the difference between getting one, two, or three? So... <laughs> You guys will give an answer, and then I'll give one, two, or three points based on how much I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, if that's so the case, wait, I want to take was a moment say, here. I was going to say, this might be the most subjective question ever. <laughs> it's actually subjective. Uh, it's not a, what do you think he thinks? Are we, we think. are we going for realism or creativity? Okay, I'm screwed because Tom can just keep going with words and KJ will love it, and I'm just going to be to the point so i'm right. done so let me um <laughs> let me put some structure on it uh first of all it should be plausible mm -hmm. second of all yeah it would be nice if it was creative and third mm -hmm. of all the shorter the answer will probably lend itself more to more points when i was in high school in english in senior year somebody asked the teacher who i can't remember his name right now mr wilson asked mr wilson how long does this essay have to be and he said how long do a man's legs need to be? The answer was long enough to reach the ground. So as short as you can make your answer, but the guy can still stand. That's what I'm looking for. Tom, you get the first crack at it. I, I am locked in. I'm, gonna, I'm going to use the given circumstance that the swimming distance is too great. Sure. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, uh, because I think I could swim 800 feet. I mean, yeah, I think we all can. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm just going to pretend it's longer. Well, um, maybe we can, maybe it's currents. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like you know, an Alcatraz you, thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's fine. Whatever it is, you can swim it. Whatever yeah. the, whatever causes that to, to yeah. not be an option. So I, so what we learned from the picture is the duck boat actually does float and float well. So what I would do would be, I would, I would use the duck boat and oar it, steer it using the net that was used to catch fish in the picture. And I would use that to paddle the boat um, towards shore, towards Seoul. Okay, this is going to be tricky because my answer is effectively the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't say that I got as specific as using the net thing. Um, but I was go now that we know that the, the duck boat, you know, flew, float away. That means it is a viable flotation device. I was going to use that and, um, use some of the, the, the garbage cause there were some sticks and paddles and all that to paddle it away. I don't know how deep this river is either, but my whole goal was to get on that boat. And to be quite honest, eventually it's, it's, it's going to probably float in the other direction there because it's it's uh the way the river breaks down it looks like it's just between the city and and there's this big island here so it would float in that direction even when the 
the boat went away. The current kind of took it that way. So that's what I would say. We both like the boat. All right. Duck boats for duck boats. So I think they're both good answers. Um, I would have been nervous that that duck boat was seaworthy. I would have wanted to do some tests, you know, mm-hmm. try to somehow tie it to shore and, you know, I don't know, somehow get good at guessing the weather. Um, but yeah, no, those were good answers. So I'm going to give one duck boat to Nick for his mm-hmm. duck boat answer. And I'm going to give the full three duck boats to Tom because I really like that you thought about the rudder and how you were actually going to navigate this thing so you didn't end up back on Bamsum Island, which brings the point total eight to eight. That was a little bit more thorough than me. I will agree. So any other ways you guys can think of getting off the island? It seems like there was quite a few opportunities for uh, Sun Jin. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would think that maybe building something that leads up to the bridge. I, it's a little... It's a little hard to see how tall that bridge is, but uh, and building something seems a little, a little difficult. Um, so, so having another moment to think about this question, I would have totally changed my answer. Yeah. Uh, the easiest way is to become more, make it easier for boats passing by to see that you're there. I mean, I don't even know why I didn't even think of that. Yeah, there was he actually was hiding from the the cruise ships or the the sightseeing boats that were going by that would be the easiest way to get off the island. i don't even know why i missed that man I, I lost my opportunity at three points that would have been the perfect amount of duck boats in my raft team paddling or flock depending on how you like to talk about a group of ducks another thing he could have done is tried to get the attention of the highway passers i'm not sure how high those trees are but he could have used the tarp or something to make it obvious that like somebody driving by might see like, Hey, I think there's somebody down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you could just sit below the thing and just yell for a few hours. Well, they were saying he was trying to do that. And he was saying the noise of the freeway, but maybe late yeah. at night you could do that. But yeah. I honestly think if I took an extra moment and didn't go with the, the, the boat thing, just passing the, the other boats passing by, I don't know why I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> try to do a bit like help me please or something. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, let's do the tiebreaker. It's time for a bonus question. So this is going to be, um, you will have to say the number without going over. And this is for the final duck boat to win. Okay. How much debt is Song Jung in before he jumps? Yeah, I have a number. God, I hope I don't go over. (laughs) You have to be uh, under it, you said. Yeah. Price is right rules. <laughs> so you guys both locked in. I don't want to do this. Hold on, I, I'm, I'm gonna literally write this one down because this could get contentious. <laughs> okay, I I am locked in and written down for extra security. All right, Tom, what do you got? Two seventeen, two hundred seventeen thousand. I have two hundred one thousand five hundred dollars. The correct answer is $210,308. Oh! <laughs> Nick wins his first Talking Pictures trivia ever. All right. <laughs> Tom, you were, you were very close. You actually were closer yeah. to the actual number. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my, my, my paddling of duck boats is complete. <laughs> Man, that was a fight to the end there. 
I should have wrote that number down when I saw it on the, the movie. <laughs> oh, I wrote it in my notes, but I did not read my notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Oh, that was a, that was a good one, Cage. Yeah, no, he was in, and I remember it was like a much lower number before all his interest and all it was of like that. Fifty six thousand. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say like eighty or so. It was like a, it was like a lower number. Yeah. And then this guy really, I mean, poor guy, his his girlfriend had enough of him, and yeah. and even at the uh, part when he was like he lands on the shore, he's like I couldn't even you know off myself correctly, and. Uh, the other part, when he finally gets his cell phone working, which, funny enough, I was talking about flip phones. That was like a Motorola Razor. <laughs> it's always funny to see technology in older movies, too. Um, I, he finally did get the battery working. Um, 911 emergency response thought he was a prank call. <laughs> and he, got, uh, 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 he tried to get his, his ex-girlfriend, who wanted nothing to do with him. And then the battery dies because of the phone company giving him a, a promotional offer. KJ, you've done it again. That was an excellent quiz time. Uh, I guess it's kind of tacky for me, for me to congratulate myself, but it's nice to finally win one of these things. Hey, congratulations, um, Nick. Yeah, t- Tom uh, tends to uh, take it down uh, quite often. Um, I am going to then jump us right into movie rants after this commercial break. Hi, this is Tom here again. I've just been informed by our sponsor, Instant Combustion Poster Board, that the fireballs that are coming out of the poster board are actually a feature of the product. So if you rub the top center of it, intentionally a fireball will shoot right out the top and into the air, lighting up the night sky. I've also been informed by our sponsor that if you're going to use the fireball feature, that you be outside and 40 yards from anything that could potentially catch on fire, such as wood, trees, or grass. Um, I have to say, I for one have been loving the fireball feature. I have some kids next door, they're really loud. I just take my instant combustion poster board, I put it outside, I rub the back of it, and a giant fireball lights up right in front of their window, terrifying them. It's wonderful. They become quiet immediately, and I get right back to rest. So, just a correction, I'll say it again, the fireball feature is intentional, so please use it with care. That's Instant Combustion from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. Set your mind on fire, and also your poster board. That's instant combustion just for you from Burnt Boo Boo Incorporated. And we're back. Once again, a wonderful sponsor. Uh, Let's jump right into Movie Rant. It's time for Movie Rant. This movie combines two genres that are... um, that are often not combined. It's the, the lost island picture, be it the Swift Stanley Robinson, or um, it's actually a specific reference to Gulliver's Travels, or Robinson Crusoe, um, you know, and the romantic comedy uh, into one thing. I'm not sure another movie that can necessarily do that. Maybe something like Blue Lagoon does that, where you have kind of a romantic comedy in a, in a lost island setting. Um, 
honest with you, I have not seen Blue Lagoon. But or what you'll have like with Blue Lagoon is, as as I understand it, they're going to have seen it. Is that there, there's kind of, it's kind of very steamy, right? It's very sexual. Um, this movie avoids that by finding a clever way to distance the, the romantic couple, in spite of the fact that there are uh, they're in these island conditions. And it's also very careful to put both of them in island conditions, even though the female Kim character is living in one of the largest cities on planet Earth. Um, she's still an island dweller of sorts in her isolated apartment. I mean, it's covered in filth. She sort of has a self-contained ecosystem for the most part. Um, and so let's talk about Jung Young. Um, I think this is her movie. We've kind of not talked about her too much because it's kind of challenging to talk about her situation and how she overcomes it. But she's the one that actually gets out of her island and back into society that she was trapped in by the end. Whereas Song Jing kind of jumped into his island, wanted to stay there. He came back to society, but he still would rather be back on the island like Jack and Kate. Yeah, it's, uh, well, they're, they're the inverse of one another. So uh, the, the, the male Kim, he, um, but the, so the male lead, um, they're the inverse of one another. He, want, he doesn't want to be on the island. He wants to escape initially and then comes to find it to be a place of salvation. She is on her island willingly. And willingly is, I mean, she, she's clearly dealing with mental illness. So, you know, willingly in quotes. But, um, but then while well, he comes to embrace the island and has to be forced off it, um, she comes to recognize the, the limits of her island and willingly and is able to escape from it. Um, she becomes what he is at the beginning, someone who wants to get off. Um, and he becomes at the end what, what she is, which is someone who's, who's kind of willing to embrace, embrace the island. And he isn't completed or, or healed, so to speak, again, healed in, in quotation marks, because uh, until he's able to see her and contact her, until there's this actual willing contact between two people that's sought for her. Um, and that's, you know, the movie ends at the point in which two people reach one another. It literally cuts at that point. Yeah, I, I would um, to go back to what KJ was asking. Is it the female leads character, the male? I, I really think they do a good job of, of sharing the story, which I thought was interesting because we don't even get introduced to the second lead, the female character, until pretty far into the movie. I mean, the journey of the gentleman on the, uh, the coming to the island and starting his civilization on the island, really, that's where a majority of the beginning starts. And then only, like, it, it was noticeable to me. It's like, oh, wait, they're going to introduce another character now. And I'm not complaining about it. I think it worked out perfectly, the way they jumped between the two of them in their own isolation and their own, you know, islands, whether physical or mental. I, I really, that's, I think, what I enjoyed most about this movie was the portrayal of both characters and their journey to their transformation. And I think in the end, they're both damaged, but perfectly damaged for each other. <laughs> the other thing I really liked about her character is she decides to respond to Sung Jin by writing a message in a bottle and tossing the bottle onto the island. And 
I think if I was going to do something like that, I'd be like, all right, it's a lot of work to get this bottle out there. I better write everything I need to in my message, make sure I explain myself and understand everything. But she just writes, hello. But she writes it in English. That's, That's the key. He writes in English just because I, I imagine it's just easier to form the characters. Help is easier, maybe easier to form the characters in English than in, in the Korean language, uh, in the Korean alphabet. Um, I, that's the only reason I can imagine he's writing in English instead of in Korean. Um, but it also opens the door for her to respond in English, which means I saw you on the island. It's not hello to any old person. It's hello to you specifically. And it's done in, in this kind of clever um, and flirty economic way, right? I'm, I'm not writing a whole letter. I'm saying, I see you. What was interesting about that whole sequence when he was writing help and hello on the beach, my brain was wondering, did they change that for this version that I'm seeing so that I can understand? And then later they do explain in the story that he says she specifically responded in English. So then I realized regardless if you were watching a version with subtitles or the original, those characters were in English. I also think that might be uh, the reason it was also simple is that while not everyone in Korea may be fluent in English, they may know these basic words. So it might've been easier for the native audience to understand that, hey, they're, they're speaking in a different language. Too. I, I don't know if that's fact, but that's just something I, I thought of. Well, yeah, the title was Cast Away on the Moon. So I think part of it was they needed to use an alien language, English, in order to kind of represent their, their isolation from each other together. Well, we have to talk about, I mean, we've alluded to it a little bit here, but we have to talk about the whole sequence of events of how the female lead leaves her apartment. They, and she refers to him as an alien. She has her motorcycle helmet that she puts on. She's got this like suit that kind of like, uh, it's like a, a windbreaker suit, but it kind of is a little bulky. It almost looks like she is going out into space in all her protective gear. She does it very covert and sneaky and, the whole, the whole sequence there is great. Even when she buys these little uh, robot toys so that the person makes it so that the, and I don't think he's a guard. I think he's the doorman, but mm. the person in the building doesn't see her coming and going. Like the whole, that, that whole sequence is really well done of her exploring this unknown world. To and you know, an alien. And you know what the robots are called? They're the Lily Putin. It says it on them. Lilliputin, which is a Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels reference. Oh, I didn't get that. When he goes to, yeah, when, when Gulliver goes to see the, the little people, you know, the, yeah, the, the people yeah. who tie Gulliver down. Yeah. Those are the Lilliputins. I did not, um, ca- I did not catch yeah. that. I'm pretty sure that's written on the, the front of the, the robots. Yeah. I, I um, really like that whole sequence as well as what KJ was saying. Even the bottles, it's kind of preposterous because who knows how long it's going to be. And I think a few months did go by before he found that first bottle. Like mm-hmm. time had passed. Then Three he months, was on the lookout. days. There you go. I remember then that he, number. Yeah. It wasn't a question though, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, that whole sequence between the two of them, I, I, I really liked how that was done. Yeah. And the other thing I really liked about that robot is all they had to do was show you the robot walking out of the elevator and you could imagine the rest of the scene of her getting to the bridge. I really liked yes. how they could compress all that into a few frames of the movie, and now you understood everything that was going on. However, there were other scenes in the movie that I felt were kind of clumsy. So the one scene that we've talked about where he's in the swimming pool trying to swim, 
going flashbacks through his life. That felt like the director kind of getting his sea legs. I think this was one of his first movies. I, it, it, it worked. It was fine. Um, but I think with another director, that, that whole, that part of the story could have been told in a better way. It's extremely clear. I mean, it's, it's also right on the nose. It's a metaphor on the nose, right? I'm floundering in life. And so, you know, let me, let me show you in a, in a visual metaphor. Um, and we don't need it, right? We get the idea that this guy's hopelessly in debt. That is not the, the actions or the state of being of a kind of responsible person. We know his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend dislikes him strongly. We don't need to, to get the idea that she's super mean. Um, it actually doesn't really help that she's super mean, right? Because it's him um, learning self-sufficiency. So the fact that he's kind of a schlub and kind of a loser um, allows him a place to go in, in his character's arc of development. So we don't need any of that. Uh, outside, you know, and I think the movie is more or less obvious, but the, this idea of the, the kind of twin aliens in, um, in Korea, these two people kind of, seeing themselves as extraterrestrial in the modern world. You know, I, I think that's enough to, to communicate the kind of outsidery thing. I don't think we need this, this pool shot to, to do that. I wonder if that is um, a style that they just use in, in that region, just like certain cinema in other parts of the world have like, I mean, the Indian, the Bollywood scene is known for very long musical scenes. Maybe they're just do these very dramatic uh, comedic scenes. Like even this scene with the, we were talking about before with the delivery boy, that was still like another, those, the pace of those two scenes was different than the rest of the movie. So I, I, again, I agree with you that it did feel off from the rest of the flow, but so did that other scene. Is that maybe how they deal with uh, like really, Subtle comedy and then force comedy and then change the speed. I, I don't know. I just figure I'd throw that out there. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to explore more movies to see if this is a trope we find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the, and this is from kind of uh, not a lot of information from, you know, watching Old Boy and uh, very limited Korean film vocabulary, but the performance of the delivery boy and the performance of our main male character on the island are very similar. They're, they're larger, more declamatory performances. It's a different style of film performance than what we're used to in, in America. And I think both of those characters are working within that same style. I, and my problem with the, the pool scene is that it's a, it's, a, it's a simple metaphor that's done in a kind of clumsy way. It's not so much the performances themselves. Um, but I think when, when like looking at this movie, you're, you are looking at a movie with a different, that's working within a different performance tradition. I, you know, I, I would be suspicious that, you know, Korean movies use clumsy metaphors. That that's like, you know, what Korean movies do. I'm, I'm more uh, susceptible to believe that it's, that we are with that delivery boy and with the, the man on the island looking at a different performance tradition or the actors that play them. And this is also true of um, Japanese films too. I would say, if you know, like Rashomon and those films, you know, the performance style is usually it's a, it's a little larger than life. It's it's a little more showy. It's a little more declamatory. It's the kind of um, we see this kind of acting style if you see um, old silent films of you know the, the great actresses of the, the end of the nineteenth century who 
kind of jump into silent pictures. They also have a style like that. And a lot of American acting is designed to push against that or to move away from that in different ways, you know, be it um, kind of Stanislavski people or the Method School, which we've all heard of, um, which is endlessly heard of. Um, you know, th those are specific attempts within kind of Western and even within American performance tradition to not do what we're seeing in this film. And it doesn't seem like that language, you know, that, that particular performance language is there. They're using the more declamatory style. So an, another thing that was interesting to me too is um, depictions of mental illness and and recovery, the kind of the, the direction she takes in the future we can imagine for these characters. Um, I remember if anybody's seen Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, I've seen I saw it. Yep. Yeah. So Silver Linings for the audience who hasn't seen it, it's, it's about two people who are dealing with mental illness, who uh, a, a male character and a female character, I don't remember their names, Bradley Cooper and, uh, and Jennifer Lawrence. And they eventually become romantically linked. And the idea is that they're, they're finding one another is this kind of means of healing eventually from the, their mental illnesses. But I, you know, I had a friend once point out, it's just kind of like, it doesn't really work. <laughs> you, you just kind of exacerbate each other's um, uh, uh, mental handicaps. And you know, I was wondering what people thought of that, the kind of the depiction of um, mental illness in the process of recovery in this picture. Uh, I think this movie took it pretty lightly. And I think it, they used comedy more for that thing. I don't think the movie was trying to take a big stance on mental illness. I don't think they were uh, suggesting anything the characters did as a solution or mm -hmm. something that would help for that, including when they meet at the end. By the time they meet at the end, it's almost that, that Disney ending where, or you know, that final note in a song that sounds right and sounds good, um, mm -hmm. even if there's no way that that's going to work or... Uh, if that's going to lead to a better future for either character. Um, so I don't think the movie was trying to influence or talk about mental illness specifically. Yeah, to KJ's point, we talked about this a little earlier, but when I watched this movie, I'm like, her parents are giant enablers. Like, that would never happen. I, I, I Again, I'm pretty sure any of our parents would be like, clean up your room. <laughs> like, like it got to such a point that this lady, I don't know how long she's had these problems. Okay. We don't know how long, but it sounds like as a somewhat adult. Uh, but again, maybe I'm just getting that from the sense of what the room looked like, but it, it, it did not seem like they were saying this is the, the road to recovery as KJ was saying on the other end, talking about the end, you had it tie up exactly where the movie started with when he was going to off himself with the hang himself in the, in the beginning there, it was the day that the CDC had their, you know, what is it? Is it an air raid? Is that what it was? I think it, like test or. Uh, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. I, I think was it was something like that. Test. Yeah. And that's the reason she was able to catch the bus. At, by the way, she must be exhausted. I know she does a lot of steps in her apartment every day, but she ran a long way <laughs> and then she had to run after the bus again. But yes, that's just, but you kind of wanted that ending too. I mean, you didn't want to be like, Oh crap. He went off in the bus. So we, we kind of expect that, you know, fade to black, get it. Um, I get that part, but yeah, there was no big, no big stance here on uh, being advocates. 
I wouldn't say there's no, I, I would agree that there's no stance. I didn't want to suggest that I thought there would be some kind of stance on mental illness. It, it's more, um, it's more the depiction of it. And I think more in this picture, especially with her, less with him, um, we get, we're inside of her world, I think more substantially. Uh, and especially in the closing credits, what we see are, are pans of the actual garbage in her room. Her room is, for, for the listening audience, her room is filled with garbage that she's accumulated from not leaving. She's locked in her room, her bedroom. She sleeps in a, a closet, as Nick, I think you mentioned, and it's just mm -hmm. filled with garbage. Um, but the, the ending credits kind of pan over the garbage in a way that doesn't depict it as disgusting or gross. It seems to, you know, it, it also doesn't seem to embrace it, but it doesn't seem to distance you from it. You're not revolted by, or the filmmaker doesn't want you to be revolted by her lifestyle. The movie um, doesn't it, judge her at all. Yeah, it doesn't judge her at all, thank you. And, and it's interesting in the end, there is a tenderness to the set in, that, in those pants in the credits. There's a, there's a real tender feeling towards that setting, the garbage included, that the movie also has for the duck boat, right? That's now at the end, we see the duck boat drifting out <laughs> of the sea. It was washed away in a storm. And the last thing we see, I think the last thing we see in the credits is the, is the duck boat going off into the ocean. Um, and there's like a, a, a real affection for that which we need to get through our difficulty. Even if it becomes revolting at some point, even if it, after a certain point, it is what traps us as opposed to what, what allows us to, to compensate or, or to get around difficult times. Still, this was, this was someone's home and these were the methods by which someone survived in an alien and hostile environment. And the, uh, the, the tenderness with which the movie treats that, those circumstances is, is very impressive. And I think far more, um, far more interesting than, um, I think far more interesting than an, an initial screening probably lets on. I, I agree with that. And it, it, it's, it's interesting to see for a movie that the majority of us were not familiar with, there was a, really a lot to unpack here. And uh, I, I would definitely recommend this movie to our audience who may not have heard of this. And uh, I, I definitely think it's worth a, worth a watch. Uh, I know we covered some serious items here, but I, I wanted to end on a real strong note here on, on really a, a, a tough rooting question regarding this movie. A lot of us have very eclectic palates when it comes to cuisine we like. Have any of you e eaten black bean noodles before or would you like to eat black bean noodles? And I'll start off. I have not eaten this. I like a lot of uh, Asian inspired noodle dishes. Uh, I do not think I've ever had black bean noodles. I would get the version maybe that was offered with seafood. I would not get the one with onions. And uh, I would definitely give it a try. How about you guys? I have not had black bean noodles. Um, but once uh, all this isolation's over, we should all hang out, find a good Korean restaurant, and get a, order a bunch of different dishes and try them all. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I actually, after watching this, ordered noodles and ate it. <laughs> 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 but it wasn't they didn't have black bean noodles so no i don't think i've had black bean noodles but what, what I kind of noodles did you get? 
Um, I got, uh, like, I actually got a seafood noodle mix. I, I forget <laughs> what type it was. Um, but it was, uh, it was Singapore noodles. It was called. Mm, okay. I don't know. I, I yeah. don't know my noodles well enough. There so. is, is it, was it possibly, uh, Singapore Mayfan? It might've been. That's a dish remember. that uh, my wife likes. Uh, yeah. and, and sometimes it's just referred to as Singapore noodles. But it came with chicken and shrimp, so I was happy. There wow. you go. Okay, well, if we ever get out of this situation, uh, maybe we, I'd say we'd have a live episode, but I don't think a Korean restaurant would be a good place for audio. But uh, we definitely should give some uh, black beans noodles a try. And uh, to our listening audience, why don't you give it a try as well? Uh, I'd like to once again congratulate myself, Nick, in the least tacky way possible for winning this week, finally. Uh, I'd also like to thank our inquisitive editor, KJ, who masterfully crafts these episodes. I'd also like to acknowledge IMDb, which is a great resource for movie information. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episode. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1955, Night of the Hunter. Talk to you then. Ding, 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 ding.